Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great new inventory. Fabulous selection of pre-owned inventory. Sales staff that gets it done. Great deals to be had. And a service department that takes care of the life of the vehicle. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Neil Kulong on today's show. Looking forward to that. And Serena Winters joining us today as the Sixers lost the opener last night. Jalen Brown and 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 Tate played really well for the Celtics last night. Embiid did it for the Sixers. But Gordon Hayward did get hurt, and it looks like he's going to be out four weeks with that ankle. So Serena will join us at 3.35. Neil Kulong will join us at uh, 4.06. James Franklin, by the way, tomorrow. We're going to start out with uh, one quick note on Fernando Tatis. We're going to hear his grand slam a little bit later in our play-by-play call of the day. The Rangers are mad at him because, I don't know, what was the score at the time? 12-2? to two, it, was, it was 10-3 at the time in the 7th. 10-3. And it was a 3-0 pitch. pitch. I, the only quarrel I have about what he did is that he was given the take sign and he swung. That's the only quarrel I have with it. No offense. Stop making excuses because your dude can't make a pitch. It is not his job to bail out your pitcher. It's not his job. His job's to hit. It's not his job. Unwritten rules of baseball. Unwritten what? Again, the only person that should have a beef with what he did last night would be his manager because his manager gave him the take sign. Okay, that's a legitimate beef because the job of the manager is to manage the game. 
Okay. After that, I'm sorry. Okay. It is up to that person 60 feet, 6 inches away to make the pitch. And by the way, if you watch the pitch, that's just a superior swing. That was not a grooved pitch down the middle. The pitch the pitch that was made was actually a like a decent 3-0 pitch. It was not a grooved pitch. Oh, the Rangers were upset. Upset with what? He threw it. Be upset with him. He's the one that tossed it. <laughs> Get mad at him for doing his job. He's paid. He's paid the hit. He's getting a little sick and tired of some of the unwritten rules. The unwritten rules, unfortunately, take away from the competition of the game. You're supposed to make that pitch. Make it. It's your job. Make the pitch. It is not his job to bail you out. No matter what, I'm going to take it. Well, what's the difference between hitting one out 3-0 and 3-1? Now I want to get to the NBA. Read an interesting article today. Ethan Strauss wrote it on The Athletic. Here's what's interesting about it. Since 2012, since 2012, ratings, uh, viewership for the NFL has gone from 16.6 million to 16.5 million. That's really just a tiny slice of a drop negligible baseball in a lot of ways you know while baseball is quote the national pastime but there's a reality to it baseball is also um, very much a regional sport so when you're sitting there and looking at the at numbers for major league baseball it's interesting is Baseball on the national level has seen their viewership go from 2.6 down to 2.5 million. Again, a slice. Then there's the NBA. The NBA for its prime game on ABC, and that's considered their prime game, has lost 45% of its of its viewership. TNT has lost 40% of its viewership. ESPN's lost 20% of its viewership. So naturally, you've got to ask why. It is very easy, and we're not going to take the easy way out here, because I, what did I mention? Okay, uh, let's find out what kind of a good listener you're, you are here. Are you a good listener? What's the parameter which I mentioned? I said since 2012, it's eight years. Eight years. Okay, so I talked about NFL, eight year trend, only down 100,000. 
Major League Baseball, in terms of viewers, for the national game. Major League Baseball, down 100,000 from eight years ago, national game. So this is the NBA in its national rating over eight years. It is a concern. So to take the side of, well, it's all the politics, too, too simplistic. Is it a factor? Of course it's a factor. But it doesn't explain all of it. The NBA, there's certain elements of it, but I think that here's the primary one. I feel like the NBA has forgotten who the consumer is. The consumer is not the player. Every time you turn around with the NBA, it's about the player. It's about the player. It's about the player. It's about the player. No, 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 no. Okay. The player is critical to what you're going to do, but you have no game without the consumer. The, The player is not the consumer. The consumer is you and me. And there's several factors that go into this. Part of it is style of game. There's no no doubt about that. The NBA's gone heavy analytics, just like baseball has. But here's the part about analytics that I never hear anybody talk about. Anybody. Oh, analytics this, analytics that. You hear people talk about it, but you know, I never hear anybody bring up this point. Ever. Well, we'll bring it up for you. Analytics is only as good as the person actually executing it. When you look at the NBA, for example, analytics will tell you you want slam dunks, free throws, you know, layups, dunks, free throws, three-pointers. Right? Heavy emphasis on the three-pointer. Here's the problem. Not everybody's good at shooting them. I want Steph Curry and Clay Thompson to take as many as they want. But there's a long list of guys. I don't want them taking threes because they're not good at it. You never hear any, do you ever hear anybody, Matt, talk about that? Analytics, analytics. Yeah, but you have to have people that are good at it. You can do all the analytics you want in Major League Baseball, home runs or strikeouts. Well, if the dude strikes out four times, your analytic on that night stinks. That's exactly right. One of the many reasons I, why I'm not an analytics person, I think it's I think it's just dumb, to be honest with you. It's just flat-out dumb. I'm okay with using any tool possible to make you better. Anybody that's all in on analytics doesn't get the game. Anybody who's all in on anti-analytics doesn't get the game. Okay? There's a balance in there. And you have to have people that have the ability to execute it to make it work. Right? There's middle ground, a wide swath of middle ground on the use of analytics. If you're absolutely against it, okay, I look at you and go, okay, wait a minute. You, don't you want to use every tool available? If you're all in on it, I look at you, I look at them, and I say, okay, you don't get there's a certain way to play. 
Like for, I always use the example of a strikeout's like any other out. Uh, no, it's not. Do you do you know the game? Do you know if I somehow hit the ball to the right side and that gets the runner to third with less than one out and he hits a fly ball and gets the run in? Analytics says that's not the way to play. But guess what? It's one to nothing. And that's why I don't like analytics, Steve. Because you're right. You don't know the game if you use analytics because you're just relying on numbers and you're not relying on your gut feeling of how the flow of the game is going. That's why you see a guy like Gabe Packler, who is a major failure right now as a a major league manager. Because he doesn't follow the game. He just follows a book of numbers. That's not a game. That's not managing. I think there's a wide swath in the middle where those who have a feel for the game and also have a feel for the analytics can then construct. But you have to have players with the ability to execute it. So back to the NBA, the number of guys I see shooting three-pointers, okay, well, guess what? You're not good at it. As the great cowboy Western philosopher Clint Eastwood once said, man must know his limitations. (laughs) But the NBA also, in, in other ways, has done a great job of cultivating the game worldwide. Europe, Asia, China. You know where they haven't done a very good job? Here. They have spent so much time opening up NBA academies all over the place. What about here? 29 of your 30 franchises are in this country. What about here? What about this consumer? They also have the ability, for example, to blow up the image of a player. Now, LeBron James does not fall into this category. He is as great a basketball player as you think he is. But I'll give you an example. Um, and this is not personal, by the way. Jimmy Butler's a great player. No, he's not a great player. Jimmy Butler is a very, very good player, who, by the way, has nights of greatness. But he's very good. Would Jimmy Butler start for the 86 Celtics or the 85 Lakers? No. Who's who's going to replace the Celtics lineup in '86? He'd be the seventh guy. Bill Walton was the sixth guy. He'd be the seventh guy. And he, by the way, he'd he'd really help them out. There's no no doubt. He'd make them a better team, but he wouldn't start. Simple. Use your head. The other part that I think that turns a lot of the consumer off, with all due respect, is load management. You sign a contract to play 82 games. Unless you're hurt, by the way, the fan, the consumer, absolutely understands when you're injured. The fan, the consumer, also completely understands that you're hurt. The fan, the consumer, does not understand that you need a night off. That woman or man 
probably is going to work 252 days out of the year. That woman or man may have had to coach a Little League the night before or gone to their child's recital the night before or worse, dealt with a problem the night before. They're expected to go to work and be at, quote, peak performance the next day. Where's their load management? Well, you can't compare it. Yes, you can. They're both people. People are people. I thought that was the whole theme of what we're doing this year. People are people. Load management. Okay, here's one for you. Go to bed earlier. You're tired? Get more rest. It's your responsibility. (laughs) Not the team's, it's yours. The consumer buys the ticket hoping you're going to play that night. Nah, not going to play tonight. Load management. Load management. What's, you know, in a normal season, what's the summer called? There are too many elements that the NBA has ventured into that turn off the consumer. How many games when when the when LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA championship? How many games did LeBron James miss that season? How about none? Michael Jordan, how many games did he miss in a season? How about none? Larry Bird had a bad back, kept playing. Kareem, every game. Magic played every game. They understood that people were buying tickets to see them play. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, great new inventory. Fabulous pre-owned inventory. Sales staff with plenty of deals on the table and also a service department that takes care of the life of the vehicle. It is all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Very pleased to bring back from NBC Sports Philly, Serena Winters. Serena, we hope you are doing well. It's great to have you with us. Right back at you. I'm happy the NBA playoffs are here. We've got a lot of basketball every day to keep track of. I mean, four games a day, all of a sudden it's at 1 o'clock and there's games. They're playoff games. It's unbelievable. I know. Can't keep up with it all. It's like an NBA festival. Uh, Let's start with the Sixers game last night. Uh, I felt going in that the Celtics matchup-wise, Jalen Brown advantage, Tatum advantage, Gordon Hayward now out was an advantage, and the Sixers had one advantage, and that was Joel Embiid. I said, I didn't like the odds. With Hayward out, in your opinion, how much does that change the dynamic of the series? I mean, I definitely think it changes the dynamic for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, you know, Boston is so reliant on their starting five, which is 
incredible. Um, but you know, without Hayward, obviously you're you're moving somebody off the bench into the starting five, and that's probably going to be Marcus Smart. Now you don't have him to rely on coming off the bench, and now Brad Stevens is going to have to make a choice with some of his guys, whether or not you're going to have a guy like Wanamaker playing more minutes, Ojale playing more minutes. So that's certainly something that's you know an advantage to um, an advantage to the Sixers. Now on the on the Sixers side of things. Now you've got to think, are you going to consider changing up your starting lineup, right? Because if you're going to have Marcus Smart now being inserted into the Boston starting lineup, are you going to now try to match that, you know, and be smaller? Put Alvaro on the bench maybe, put Matisse Seibel in the starting unit. And I think that's something that the Sixers staff is certainly considering. You know, we just talked to Brett Bown about an hour ago, and he said right now that all options are on the table. So with that, we, we might even see another starting lineup change. Uh, I, I want to get to Joel Embiid. I thought he not only, for the most part, played well, but I thought he played hard last night, getting his hand into passing lanes and so forth. How much more can he give Brett Brown right now? Yeah, you know, it is it is kind of a double-edged sword because I agree with you, especially to start out that game, it really felt like Joe was just owning the space um, but, you know, as that game wore on, and especially in that fourth quarter when you need him to attack the most, they struggled getting the ball to him. And that's where you remember that, you know, the Sixers don't have Ben, right? And they don't have that legitimate point guard um, to help create a little bit better for the offense. And the offense, to me, looked a bit disorganized. Um, there were times where, there were, I mean, the turnovers were outrageous. And a lot of the turnovers did happen either in bad post feeds, you know, Joel passing out of those, passing out of the post. Um, so while I agree with you to start the game, I do think that there needed to be a greater sense of discipline down the stretch. And, and that wasn't just on Joel, but just the office offense itself seemed, seemed pretty disorganized to me. Which then brings me to Shake Milton. Where does Shake Milton need to be better? And were there moments in the eight-game restart where he was playing better? You know, this is a tough task for Shake Milton. I mean, you gotta you got to also recognize that he hasn't had a ton of NBA experience. I actually thought that he played a, a pretty decent game last night. Um, I thought that he struggled to start in that in that first quarter to open that game. But, you know, I, I thought he was okay. Um, I think, though, and, and we saw this with how the game wound up, is you have Alec Burks, who has a lot more experience, can really create for himself. And we saw him get a, a lion's share of the minutes that maybe, you know, you would think that the starting point guard would be in there down the stretch. And for the most part, he wasn't. Um, I think Shake just has to do a better job offensively recognizing that you can't always post Joe. I mean, it's, it's, right. you want you want, you always want to post Joe, right? Because that is obviously what the Sixers' strength is, but you also can't force it. And so because of that, you've got to move the ball um, and make it easier for the end game to be able to post Joe, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. I mean, I know MB can pop out and hit a three. I've got that. And he likes shooting them. But in the post, they have a huge advantage there. One of the element, though, of Marcus Smart starting 
is that it means it does start the game with the Celtics having a better defensive team. Not offensive, but a better defensive team sure. on the floor. Uh, when you look at what Brett Brown is looking at with the Celtics having to make that change, you know, I think you alluded to this a bit, Serena, but how does he want to counter the better defensive team out there? Well, I think that one of the things we saw in last night's game is that Matisse Geibel, first of all, on Jason Tatum. He's got, he did the best job on, on Jason Tatum all night long. And I think no that we saw that Josh Richardson matched up best with Kemba. You know, and he, he's guarded Kemba for many years now. Him, those two have met in the playoffs before. <laughs> and the problem with the starting lineup, you know, is that you know, you've got, at least last night you had Matisse coming off the bench, right? So Jay Rich was starting on um, – Jay Rich, you know, he – they, they had to switch, right? They had to switch, obviously, when Matisse mm-hmm. came in, and, and you know, we all, we all saw that. Um, but in terms of now that it's a better defensive team with Marcus Smart, yes, but they're also maybe you could you could say they're not as good in transition just because Gordon Hayward is so so versatile. Um, but I, I, I see what you're saying with Marcus, and I think that that's one of the tough things, right? Because Say, say you insert Seibel into the starting unit and you have Al Horford on the bench, does that mean that Shake Milton um, and Marcus are going to be going at it? And that's going to be a tough cover, right? Marcus Smart is just – he's a bulldog defensively, and he's a guy that you would worry about um, being able to come after Shake, and that's where that, that would kind of – he has to, has to be calm there. But I think they're probably all going through exactly what we're talking about right now. <laughs> Uh, it was interesting. A lot has been made of the Kristaps Porzingis ejection, which I watched later because he got ejected, so I figured I'd better look it up because I wasn't watching the game. And he got tossed out. I said, for that? Which then yep. brings me to the which brings me to the Al Horford play on Jalen Brown. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not two plus the ball, at least to this this old individual. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I don't, I don't care. It's like he, I, I felt like he grabbed it with the second hand to keep him from falling. I know, I know. I mean, let this guy play, right? This is the NBA playoffs. I mean, come on. I'm with yeah. you. I, I'm 100 percent with you. <laughs> I mean, I, I watched that play. It, it, it was and it was a key play because. The Celtics were expanding their lead at the free throw line. They weren't expanding it from the field, and that's yeah. what I, what I looked at it with, with this. In the bubble, we talk about uh, during the regular season load management's discussed a lot, but all these guys can do is go back to the hotel, eat whatever, and then go go and play games. Uh, now in the playoffs, there is no load management, obviously, but are, when the players have had a chance to zoom with you, Serena. I know this isn't the easiest thing to do, but have they been, quote, more better rested because they're not going out in the town? You know, I don't know that I can say that. Um, I haven't noticed any difference in terms of when we talk to them. Um, I really haven't. So, I mean, I, I understand your point because we always hear those stories, right, and depending on which city and Oh, is it in Miami? You know, the guys were out yeah. you know, that night, whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, I can't say that, that I've noticed anything in terms of them being more rested. Interesting. 
that is interesting. For the Sixers to get this thing rolling in the series, right? And it's only one game. What do you think they need to do? Well, number one, I've just almost finished watching last night's game for the second time, and the turnovers were just infuriating. I mean, yes. they were infuriating, I thought, watching them live, but on replay, when I watched them again, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here staring at my screen as I'm rewatching it on League Pass because there were so many either just telegraph passes, you knew exactly where it was going, so or, or they were trying to feed it into Joe when you know, that wasn't the right move. I think that it was just infuriating watching all the turnovers. And then you look at the statute and you go, oh, my God, 21 points is what you gave Boston off your turnovers. Um, and the offensive rebounding, I thought, for Boston, I mean, the Sixers have to do a better job at rebounding the ball. They just can't give Boston that many opportunities. And to be honest, Boston could have capitalized a lot more than they did on their offensive rebounds. I want to say they had like 15 or 16 offensive rebounds, I don't know, maybe nine points, something like that. They could have capitalized a lot more. But I think those two things are what really stood out to me. Um, but I think they've also got to figure out, look, Al Horford was guarding Jalen Brown. And that was clearly a weakness. You know, Brown scored 12 points, was four when guarded by Al Horford. So, you know, matchup-wise, this this is tough. Now, it's a little bit better for the Sixers now without Gordon Hayward, like we've talked about, but it's still tough figuring out what to do with the Celtics team that is so talented offensively. When you look at, for example, um, Tatum, you know, obviously you're looking at this from the Sixers' point of view, but when you look at the talent he brings to the table, what do you think? i got to tell you, watching the game last night, I just sat back and thought to myself, he makes it look so easy. He makes it yes. look so effortless. And that, to me, is a mark of the great players. When you're watching what they're doing and you and you you know how difficult it is, but it just looks so easy. And there were so many times last night where you just kinda sit back and watch and go, Man, he was already good, but he has gotten so much better. Um and you know what? To Matisse Seibel's credit for a rookie, I thought, man, he did it he did a great job you know, covering Tatum, some of his digs, you know, some of his blocks. I mean, he came out and, and really did well and stayed out of foul trouble, so I was impressed with that. But um, he's he's really good, man. He is really yeah. good, and, and I really enjoy watching him. And by the way, just very quickly on Thibault. Thibault, Thibault you know, understands how to play both ends of the floor. You know, you see the University of Washington was a good player. No getting around it. You do great work. And we appreciate the work you do very much and uh, your analysis as well. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us your perspective, which was invaluable. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Serena Winters joining us, NBC Philadelphia. Neil Kulong next half hour. Yeah, we're. it doesn't come into play load management now. It doesn't come into play, but... It, when you're hearing, when you're somebody has to go to work every day, and, and, and here's the other one that I think that is really driving fans nuts. All right. Who's a major attraction in the league now? Zion Williamson. 
but we're limiting his minutes. He's 19. (laughs) Am I missing something here? (laughs) He's 19? (laughs) But we're going to limit his minutes. Again, who's the consumer? The NBA is constantly appealing to the player. You've got to start appealing to the fan. And no offense, I don't care what outfit Russell Westbrook wears when he walks into the building. That's fine. I just want to know how he plays. It looks stupid half the time anyway. Oh, you're just so negative. I'm just saying, I'm right there with you. I want to see you on the court in, in a Rockets uniform. I don't care if you're wearing, like, feathers on your hat or whatever crazy things they're wearing now. It's just, I, 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 I just sit there and I, the, the stuff that the TV people care about, I'm talking about the TV people care about. It's not the stuff I care about. Well, that's why I don't watch pregame shows anymore. I've stopped watching pregame shows. I don't watch postgame shows. The reason is, when it comes time for the game, I just want to watch the game. thought that was the whole purpose. Did I miss something? All right, we'll come back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. On News Radio 1070 WKOK. Other issue, I mean, there's a, a long line of issues as to why I think the ratings have dropped. Part of it is we talked about the load management that turns people off. That's not the sole reason. For example, I think a lot of this began with and it led to a, a, an initial surge, but I think it started turning people off. LeBron James did what he was allowed to do. He was allowed to become a free agent. They did the decision. And, yeah, it benefited the the Greenwich YMCA and so forth. People don't know that stuff. They're just like, really? One guy, and he picks Miami. What people forget is he could have stayed in Cleveland and made more money. He actually took less money to go to Miami, but most people don't know that. It doesn't fit the narrative. And I'm not here to defend LeBron James, but you, you know, if you're going to do a show like this, you have to be... Um, you, you better be fair with everybody about the facts. So I don't let I am narratives are narratives are just to me are stupid. It's it deals with facts. So he could have taken more money to stay in Cleveland. He took less in Miami, but it turned the fan base off a bit. You know the the Heat were a super team. Some people loved them. Some people didn't. Well, guess what? You know. Some people love the Patriots. A lot of people don't. And guess what? It, it brings people to watch. Uh, but I think Kevin Durant, who was absolutely allowed to go to any team he wanted to, I think it turned a lot of fans off. He chose Golden State. I go, well, why am I? Why am I going to bother watching this? I mean, it's you know, the best team gets one of the best players, and great. He was completely allowed to do it. He had no obligation to sign with Atlanta or the Knicks or anybody like that. No obligation. 
he decided he wanted to sign with Golden State, and he won two NBA titles with him. Great. That's what he's allowed to do, but it doesn't mean it doesn't bother the fan. It does. It turns the fan off. See, there are a number of elements where they've turned the fan off, and part of this is as follows. They don't turn every fan off. And by the way, when it comes to ratings, illegal streaming takes away from ratings. Uh, NBA Pass, which Serena uh, referenced, doesn't count in ratings, but they're also not overflowing with subscriptions either. But here's the issue with, with the NBA that why I bring it up. When the decision was made to go with this concept in the bubble, which, by the way, was a great decision, a costly decision, but forward-thinking by Adam Silver and the NBA. No getting around. I think most people thought the NBA would clean up in the ratings. And they've done anything but, which has been a big surprise. That's why this is a story that we're talking about. Why is it that they are not cleaning up in the ratings? Why is the ratings dropped the way it is? And I think a big part of this is, and I've talked about this for a long time, this is not something that I just started talking about because it's the trendy thing to do. I've talked about this many times. Sometimes I've just slipped it in. Um, But I've felt that the NBA has been particularly guilty of not cultivating the American market. They have spent so much time cultivating the European market, so much time cultivating the Asian market, and in particular China. I kind of felt that they've taken the American market for granted. Do you have any NBA academies set up in NBA NBA cities? No. They do community work, and they do some really good community work. But... They haven't invested in the basketball part of it in this country. They're investing in the basketball part in all parts of the world. And when you start forgetting about your own markets where you're actually, where you actually have your consumers that count, because I've always said forever that I'll know the NBA's made it when Utah plays Atlanta and the ratings are as high as the Celtics and the Lakers. 